as to why I enjoyed it, I just, it, I never stopped studying it, I think, ever since then, uh, because it just feels like there's just so much more to the Psalms that I've only begun to really understand what's going on in the Psalms. Um, and then the second thing along those lines as well is that I've always had this fascination with seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And it seems to me that the New Testament authors had a fascination with the Psalms in particular, uh, with how they presented Christ. And so there's that puzzle for me of how do you teach the Psalms and be aware of what the New Testament's doing with them but then when you look at the New Testament, so often it doesn't seem to match just a natural reading of the Psalms as well. And so there's that unique challenge of trying to understand the logic uh, of the New Testament using the Old Testament. And so all those things sort of uh, tick the boxes for me in terms of just they never get old, <laughs> trying to unravel some of this stuff. Hey guys, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. This is episode 142, and I'm your host, Mike Neglia. So ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a treat because you're about to listen to the first half of a very long, very well-informed and very interesting discussion that I had with Lindsay about the Psalter. Uh, about the Book of Psalms, the uh, poetic book that is in the middle of our Bible, uh, the book that's full of quotable lines, such as, the Lord is my shepherd, um, etc., etc. But Lindsay would say that it's more than just a collection of poetry, psalm lyrics, and tweetable quotes. Uh, Lindsay has come to believe that the Psalms are a unified book and that we should consider it as a complete literary unit that's been put together in certain orders for a purpose and for a reason. So I talked to him about that. I try to tease out some of the implications for teaching and preaching and also, I guess, first and foremost, as students of scripture and worshipers of God. So this conversation is an interesting one. You're gonna have to put your thinking cap on for this. And in this section, and then also for part two, it's actually probably useful for you to have a Bible handy. I realize some of you are listening to this while you're commuting or while you're doing chores. Um, maybe you're at the gym or you're exercising outside, but um, if you're able to just open your Bible to the Psalms, it could be worthwhile to just be able to flip and glance at the passages that he's going to be referencing. Anyway, so Lindsay is a publicist. He works with Lexham Press, and so because of him, I've been introduced to a lot of good authors. Uh, you're going to hear more future interviews with um, some, some really thoughtful authors. Uh, and that's all due to Lindsay. But as you're going to hear, this guy also is just passionate about the Psalms. So here is the first half, and it's a long, it's a long interview. And there's even more to come next Tuesday. So make sure you're subscribed so the next episode automatically heads into your um, your device. Okay, that's enough of me talking. I'm going to get out of the way so you can hear this. Preaching the Psalter as a Book. 
Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective podcast. I'm here with uh, with Lindsay Kennedy, and we are going to talk about the Psalms. Uh, but before that, Lindsay, how how are you? How's your morning? Uh, what's what's going on in your life these days? Yeah, thank you for having me. It's such an honor. It's an exciting thing to be able to be part of this. Day's been going great. Uh, I'm working from home, like so many others, and so that makes things interesting. Uh, sharing a a workspace with your family. I've got three young kids and a fourth on the way and I actually share a home with my in-laws as well. And so there's three others as well as our family. So there's quite a few of us in here and several cats as well. So things are pretty busy. Well, I can't wait to see who's going to make an appearance in this interview. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm hoping it will just be the two of us. We'll, We'll have to see. Um, so yeah, we've been, this has been a long awaited, at least on my end conversation, you and I have been talking back and forth about, um, this interview and the, the shape of it for, for a long time, like back, I think since like 2019, um, it's just been something we've been pinging back and forth about doing a Psalms episode and I'm glad that it's finally here. Uh, but yeah, but before that, like Lindsay, could you kind of introduce us to yourself as like, as a preacher, um, often I ask, you know, what was your first sermon like? Uh, because it's usually an interesting story, but also it kind of brings people into uh, your life and your world. So can you bring us to your first sermon? Sure. Yeah, so like many of our listeners, I expect I grew up in a Calvary Chapel church. And so my journey is a little bit different. I grew up in, in Australia and went to Calvary's there. But eventually I ended up in Calvary Chapel, York, at the Bible College there in England. And I was part of a thing that some of our students started a little bit under the radar called the Dead Preacher Society, DPS. Wow! And it was kind of a group for the nerdy students um, who wanted to practice preaching on the side kind of secretly. Um, There's a bit of controversy about it, but we can spare ourselves from discussing that. But we ended up being, we just practiced sermons. And so actually my first sermon uh, was on the thief on the cross of all yeah. things. We were we assigned each other character studies, and so I decided to do a sermon on the thief on the cross that believed in Jesus, possibly because I thought it was maybe the most obscure thing I could think of in terms of a character study, only having a few verses. Uh, I tend to enjoy uh, weird challenges like that. So okay, okay, that was my first experience, and then from there, uh, thankfully, I actually uh, was invited to preach at the church. Um, and that's kind of what led to me doing more teaching uh, in church contexts. Oh my goodness! Yeah, the Dead Preacher Society. Um, <laughs> who 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 was who was a part of it? Was it was it a large group? Was it a um, ex- yeah. exclusive band? Who who was in there? Yeah, it was. There was about. I'm trying to remember now. There was about eight of us, I think. Some have gone on to be Calvary Chapel pastors. I think all of, actually, yeah, a couple have been Bible college teachers as well. Uh, and I think all of us had a really good experience doing, I'm trying to, yeah, trying to remember. I don't know if there's anyone who's been on this podcast. I don't think so. But yeah, a couple are currently Calvary pastors. Um, and it was a great, it was a really great experience because, uh, you know, preaching is intimidating and it was kind of an easy way to get in to the experience of doing it a few times. And then uh, I'm really grateful to Dave Sylvester, the pastor there at Calvary York, because he took notice of this and and gave a lot of us opportunities to preach in the church. And then for me, it actually led to teaching at the Bible College. And so my experience of teaching is that I've taught far more hours in Bible College context than I have 
in the sermon, you know, sort of preaching context. Uh, so that's more where my experience is. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that, but I, I, I figured there probably was a good, a good story, and <laughs> I, I was not disappointed. You know, when I was in Bible college, I, I did three semesters in California and then one semester in Germany. And then my, my, that fourth and final um, semester in Germany, we had a similar club. Um, we had the, <laughs> the pick and preach club. Uh, David oh, yeah. David Guzik was um, you know the overseer of the the campus. He told like a, an interesting story about how when Spurgeon would train his his student preachers, he would sometimes assign them a text at random, and they would have like a moment to prepare, and they'd have to stand mm. and deliver the sermon. And some of us were like, "That's that's really great." And so we started doing that. Um, I, I think yeah, once a week we would all gather together and then all kind of throw um, challenging or softball um, verses at each other and then go up and do a, a short little sermonette on it. Aren't we a couple of nerds? Are, are we... Are we the <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, rebellious youth group nerds. On top, of, yeah, <laughs> on top of our studies. Yeah. Yeah. And would, yours, would you prepare yours in advance? Or it sounds like you would prepare yours in advance, yeah? Yeah, we kind of... We kind of did the the whole like this week let's do a character study this week let's do I I'm trying to remember but it, I think it was sort of like different genres and different verses and I think we all picked different passages from Philippians at one point and we all took turns and we we're kind of doing like ten minute sermons mm. on the passages and then it ended up becoming more um, like uh, more of an official thing once the staff <laughs> were aware of it and and they were guiding it which was great. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Well, yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on your off the cuff thoughts when I do know that you've spent you know much more time preparing, researching, thinking through um, the Book of Psalms. So I'd love to now like ask you like, could you explain to us like why do you like the Book of Psalms so much, or or the Psalter, and why have you, um, yeah, why have you uh, I don't want to say begged, but why have you like made such a point <laughs> to make sure that you can talk to the preachers who listen to this podcast about this altar? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, on one perspective, it's basically yeah, whichever book of the Bible I'm currently studying is my favorite, uh, which I'm sure many, many of our listeners feel that way as well. And so as a Bible college teacher, we had that unique experience where we had 14 weeks to teach any book, whichever book it was that we picked or, you know, class, maybe theology or whatever. And so I really wanted to do the Psalms. And that's partly because of a conversation with my wife. And she was saying, if, if I were teaching at the Bible college, I want to do the Psalms. And so I, we had this conversation about it. And then I got inspired to, to tackle it. Um, as to why I enjoyed it, I just, it, I never stopped studying it, I think, ever since then. Uh, because it just feels like there's just so much more to the Psalms that I've only begun to really understand what's going on in the Psalms. Um, and then the second thing along those lines as well is that I've always had this fascination with seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And it seems to me that the New Testament authors had a fascination with the Psalms in particular, uh, with how they presented Christ. And so there's that puzzle for me of how do you teach the Psalms and be aware of what the New Testament's doing with them but then when you look at the New Testament, so often it doesn't seem to match just a natural reading of the Psalms as well. And so there's that unique challenge of trying to understand the logic uh, 
uh, of the New Testament using the Old Testament. And so all those things sort of uh, tick the boxes for me in terms of just they never get old <laughs> trying to yeah. unravel some of this stuff. So I guess on an intellectual level, uh, they really appeal to me, which is maybe different than than many people who are fascinated by the Psalms. So I'm always trying to uh, not just approach them from an intellectual level because they are prayers sure. and they are yeah. prayers that are given to us to pray to God. And I think that that also gives them an extra element, uh, which for many people, that's the first experience or the primary experience I think they have with the Psalms would be uh, so like morning devotion reading or you're going through something really difficult or you're yeah. trying to find the words to pray. And by no means do I want to take away from that. In fact, that's, I very much have that same experience with the Psalms, but I also found these other things that are more overlooked uh, and especially in preaching, I think, and, and even just personal study. Okay. So let's, let's, let's talk through that. So first off, and I want to save almost the best for last. You're, you're talking about how the New Testament authors really see Christ and show Christ to the Psalms. That's great. We're all about that. I want to save that for the second half of our conversation. Um, but so you're, you, you see them as this, um, this unified like book of the Bible that we should understand as such. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I, I've tried to summarize the, the things that I think are so important about uh, the Psalms and how we think about them, especially when we think about preaching them or teaching them. And for me, I, I summarized it as the Psalms are a book of the Bible about Jesus which should not be at all controversial. And in fact, I think that's how we should think about basically every book of the Bible in some way. It's, it's a book of the Bible and it's about Jesus. And the question, of course, mm -hmm. is what does that mean? How do we unpack it? But those three statements about the Psalms uh, kind of lead into the three things that, that I've found to be uh, really important with the Psalms. And so the first thing, as you mentioned, as a book um, would be sort of in contradiction to how we have received the Psalms as preachers and, and uh, evangelical Christians, a lot of the time our experience is that we would read them uh, as prayers, kind of read them in isolation from one another, uh, read them devotionally, maybe see them as sort of like a, a greatest hits of David's prayers and other people's songs. And maybe they're sort of like a relic of ancient Israelite worship, but of course they're not a relic for the past, they're God's word for today. Uh, but would still sort of read them in that sort of devotional, personal experience, which is totally great. There's absolutely nothing wrong inherently with this. Uh, and then a sort of a second way that we could do this as well, or second way that we've inherited the Psalms, is to think of them in terms of genres. Yeah. So we classify them like in terms of lament or praise or thanksgiving, maybe even wisdom Psalms like Psalm 1, or royal Psalms like Psalm 2, or creation Psalms like Psalm 8 or imprecatory psalms and, and other labels like that. And so as preachers, we sometimes will will use either sort of method of, we either preach them sort of as a devotional message, uh, sort of in isolation, or we may even preach a sermon series of uh, the genres, you know? And again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but my, my discovery as I've been reading the psalms and engaging with a lot of scholarship of psalms, especially the more recent scholarship since the 80s, which in scholarship, 80s is recent, you know, it takes a while yeah, for these things yeah. to trickle, trickle down. Uh, but they've been pushing back, a lot of these scholars have been pushing back on some of these thoughts, uh, especially this sort of way of breaking them down into genres, which is that, you know, these are man-made categories. Our, the genres that we give the Psalms are largely man-made categories, and they're helpful, but 
they're not the sort of thing that we do with other books of the Bible. Uh, we don't necessarily pull out Paul's uh, quotations about certain things and then preach those things, unless we're doing mm. a thematic study. But if we're mm. going to mm. preach the letter to Romans, we want to do it verse by verse if we're preaching you know, the verse by verse, book by book kind of approach. And so all that to bring back to this big idea that the Psalms are a book, uh, if we were to preach them as a book, how would that, how would that look? And so for me, preaching them as a book, uh, first of all, means we have to recognize that they're a book. The mm -hmm. Psalms are not just uh, David's playlist on shuffle, for example. You know, sure, just that sure. it could play in any order, and we happen to have 150 in this order. Uh, there's actually some real clear signs of intentionality with how the Psalter has been put together. Uh, it's actually, there's clear signs of arrangement. So I, I can get into that, and maybe I should do that, but I don't know if you. I don't want to just keep talking. <laughs> That's more that you wanted to say. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't mind listening. Um, but so so yeah, you're saying that they're not 150 like isolated uh, nuggets, and I guess I'll just mm -hmm. tee this up. So what what makes you suspect that they're not? Because yeah, in my Bible, they just it's 150 little paragraphs in a row. Some of them sure. are longer. Some of them are shorter. But there's this superscript that says book one, book two, book three. Mm -hmm. what, what's that all about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's it. I think you're, you're hinting at it right there. Uh, so the book, the book titles are added sort of by our English uh, printers and publishers and things. But there are, in fact, five books of the Psalms. They're recognizing something that's definitely there. Uh, when we look at the Psalms, there are five different uh, doxologies. So Psalms 1 through 41, which most of our Bibles would label book one, these different Psalm collections end with doxologies that if you compare them, they're, they contain the same key words, same key elements, and they're very, very similar uh, with some slight variations. But all throughout church history, really, and even uh, Jewish interpretation, they recognized that there were five books because of these five uh, doxologies. Uh, so that already you have a, a book with books within it, almost like the Torah, right? The Pentateuch. I was just thinking that, uh, yeah. And they even made that comparison. A lot of the rabbis compared it to uh, the book of Moses. Okay. Uh, there's also the fact that uh, Psalms 1 and 2 really stand apart from the rest of the Psalter. Uh, when we think of Psalms, we usually think of, again, prayers. Yeah. And it's so it's kind of weird that the first thing you encounter when you open the book of Psalms is you encounter what almost looks like something out of Proverbs you encounter something that seems to be instructing you and describing a person who delights in the Torah. Um, and then Psalm 2 is, is different again, where it's not a prayer that you can necessarily put on your lips as easily as some of these other prayers. It's describing the, the Messiah and how the nations rage against him. Uh, and along with that, you have the fact that the, those first two Psalms don't have superscriptions. Uh, they even have like an inclusio where the first Psalm 1, verse 1, begins with blessed, and then the end of Psalm 2 ends with blessed as well. Mm. So this is all things a lot of Psalm scholars have noticed is that the first two Psalms are really set apart from the rest of the book. So it's like an introduction to the five books of the Psalms. Uh, and similarly, you have the same sort of thing at the very end where the final five Psalms are all marked with this hallelujah, uh, repetition of the phrase all the way through. And so it, many people notice that this would be like a conclusion to the Psalms book. So you have the intro, conclusion, five books. And then within that, you have 
uh, again, it's not random, but you have collections of David. So basically all of book one is David. But then book two, you have these other authors where the Psalms are collected by their name and arranged by their name. Okay. So it's it's not entirely shuffled, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's actually structure there as well. Uh, or like the Songs of Ascents, we've got 15 Psalms with the same title and they're, they happen to be placed together. So there's yeah. these key sort of signs of arrangement. Yeah, uh, I think I heard... Um, I think you describe elsewhere, you describe them as um, intelligent design uh, in the book yeah. of, yeah, which, which sometimes we use that term describing other, other things, but you're saying that the Psalms themselves are intelligently designed. Sure. Yeah. So somebody came along, a tradition often associate with, associates it with Ezra, actually. Uh, someone came along because as we know that uh, some of the Psalms seem to be dated uh, around the time of the exile and even after the exile. And so somebody who, who uh, I believe was inspired by the Holy Spirit arranged the Psalms in the order we have it today. And that the things I've just been mentioning are, are hints that this is intentional. This is not just uh, yeah, clicking shuffle on your playlist where every time it could be different. This is actually something that has purpose to it. Uh, you can even see it sort of on a, a micro level where, uh, for example, this would be something that maybe our listeners will want to look at later. But the ending of Psalm 7 matches the beginning of Psalm 9. And then you've got Psalm 8 in between. And the content of Psalm 8 seems to match the ending of Psalm 7 and beginning of Psalm 9. And so there's these sort of stitches as if you've got these individual Psalms like a quilt or something that have been stitched together and you can see hints of them, of that uh, stitching. Okay, okay. And I, I, I'm trying to recall... <laughs> That's a lot, isn't it? No, yeah, <laughs> this is, yeah, this is that, yeah, there's that bigger picture, the big giant scene, and then also you're saying that, yeah, these little connectings with seven, and, yeah. Did you notice that on your own? Or is this a, are, are the Psalm scholars in agreement on that? Okay. Yeah, I, do, I barely notice anything on my own, to be honest. <laughs> I, I very much need help <laughs> when it comes to interpreting the Bible. But no, I, yeah, this is a thing that a lot of some scholars today are noticing, but they're also going back to church history and recognizing, surprise, surprise, that a lot of Christians and even Jewish uh, interpreters were, were noticing these things. And, and even so far as to say that maybe the New Testament authors are showing signs that they're thinking mm. this way as well, uh, with the Psalms being a book and, and things like that. And so, yeah, it's, but there, of course, as soon as you get into scholarship, there's disagreements about almost everything. But that general big picture is is the the current trend, maybe since the eighties, is really to look at the Psalms as a as a book and and what that could mean. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned a few different times. It's not a bunch of songs um, hit and, and played. Sh- you know, sorry, shuffled together randomly. Um, but you know, I'm I'm of the age, and I'm, I'm assuming maybe you are too. Um, did you make mixtapes? You know, for your girlfriend uh, growing up, because I because <laughs> I sure did, and I would not only choose the songs but i would often try to to put them in a certain order that you know for for me you know i was a punk rocker and my my girlfriend now wife wasn't and so i would always start off with like you know the beatles some some kind of like our shared stuff johnny cash stuff that we both like together and then like building more and more towards like the more hectic crazy stuff (laughs) that i wish that she liked yeah um yeah now now I'm just throwing that out to you. How how is that similar and how is that different than than your idea yeah. of of the Psalms? I think yeah, I think that's 
very close to what I'm saying, honestly. I think that there is this intentionality that that we're supposed to track with and it's it's guiding us somewhere and we just have to pay close attention to it and and sometimes the ways that we've inherited of reading the psalms have hindered us from doing that i think uh, some of these assumptions you know like i said of of reading them in terms of genre which then makes us separate psalm 1 and 2 from the rest even from yeah. each other and from the rest of the book or thinking of them just yeah as as individual prayers that or maybe even trying to place them in David's timeline or his psyche. You know, when you get to certain Psalms that don't necessarily connect it to David, you say, now, when could David have prayed this? And again, you're you're pulling them out of their own context by jumping straight somewhere else. And so I guess in a way you could say it like your mixtape, you're pulling these different songs and you're creating something new by putting it in that uh, new arrangement. And that arrangement has its own experience. And the experience that we have is the inspired final product which is the psalms in its current form you know 150 psalms uh whatever experience other people had in the past we don't know uh david wrote you know his psalms and the history and all the rest but the one that we have that that we have received as scripture is the is the current arrangement with 150 so it's like that i think like a mixtape i think it's also a little bit like a concept album as well you know some of these great nerdy concept albums where they're trying to tell some kind of a story and there's there's recurring themes and there's ways that this song connects to that song and uh, repetition of motifs and all kinds of things like that yeah and and so Lindsay what is that story then so what is the the story you say it's it's a book what is what is the main story of the book you know is it just we can we can pray to God whatever our emotional state is that is that the big mega theme of it, or do you think there's another theme of Psalms? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so I think that as we would normally do with with interpreting any book, right? If we're if we return just to the idea of context, right? Every good preacher should preach in context. Uh, if we apply that kind of idea to the psalms we then would say well how what is the context of the psalms and the, the context would be other psalms primarily so the beginning of the psalter i think gives us the key for how we should read the psalms which is that we have these two psalms that introduce the whole book of the psalms and these psalms introduce an individual which even this could be debated but they introduce an individual who who delights in the Torah. And it, he's actually, he's called the man. Blessed mm-hmm. is the man who delights in the Torah. And he's contrasted with the wicked, the wicked who will perish. And then there's this reference to the righteous as well. And the fact that the righteous will stand in the congregation, but the wicked will perish. And then Psalm 2 introduces us to the nations which rage against the Messiah and, and uh, the Lord himself. And those who are in the Messiah will be blessed. They will not perish like these kings will. And so if we are reading the Psalms as a book and we're reading them beginning uh, with verse uh, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, we're introduced to this character that that is the Messiah and the nations are raging against him, the wicked are raging against him. He's righteous. He's holding on to the law and the people who are in him will be preserved and they'll be spared from judgment and they will be blessed. And so... When we begin with that, I think it, it leads us then to read the rest of the Psalter as really being about this individual, about this king, about the Messiah, about the nations, about finding refuge in God and the Messiah. And it kind of directs our reading, 
uh, so much so that when we come to other psalms, we can kind of bring the baggage along with us and ask the questions, well, who are the wicked in this psalm? Well, they're the wicked that were introduced to us in Psalm 1 and 2, that kind of idea. Um, so I think one way to give an application to this would be uh, to sort of pull all this together. Um, I was thinking of, of a section of Psalms that could bring this to uh, kind of make it tangible, and especially when we're thinking about preaching, yeah. uh, because I'm recognizing the fact that we're, we're not just talking about interpretation or an interesting way to look at the Psalms, we're talking about preaching. Sure. Uh, one thing I was thinking of was that if we look at the first collection of the Sons of Korah, so that's Psalm 42, which begins Book 2, Psalm 42 all the way through 49. And these psalms are connected by the fact that they're sons of Korah psalms, but they also have key words and themes that run throughout them. So if we look at them just as a subunit within book two, uh, we see actually sort of a journey, just like a mini journey within this collection. Uh, 42 begins with that really familiar, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O oh God, right? That, that's a really familiar uh, verse that sometimes is on coffee mugs and stuff like that. Uh, and, yeah. and it's also the common refrain, why you cast down, O oh my soul. We find that two times in Psalm 42. What's interesting is Psalm 43 also has that refrain in verse 5, why you cast down, O oh my soul. So even there, it's kind of supporting what I was saying about the Psalms being put together in, in intentional arrangement. Why didn't they just go to Psalm 44 instead of 43. Well, there's this re refrain. But you notice that in these early Psalms, 42, 43, and 44, there's this lament. And it even talks about uh, language like exile. It talks about the person being far from God, not just far spiritually, but actually geographically. Uh, it seems to, to refer, I think, to the exile or some sort of experience like that. But then if you look at the end of this collection, Psalms 46, 47, 48, 49, it talks about God is king, God is ruling over Zion, all his people are secure, the nations cannot come against him, and it's just kind of this really strong uh, contrast with the early Psalms in this unit. And so it raises this question, so what's going on here, you know, what, where's the change? What's interesting is in the very middle of this collection is Psalm 45 which is the, the famous psalm about uh, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness, which the New Testament applies to Jesus and says this is a psalm about Jesus. And so you have this unit of psalms that begins with exile and uh, distance from God, and then you have it ending with restoration, God ruling in his city, and then in the middle you have this king Who's, who's being married to a foreign bride, which takes a lot to you know, figure out what exactly is, how are you supposed to interpret all this? But the New Testament at least tells us, however we figured out, this is Jesus. And so this whole unit finds its turning point in the coming of Christ and the establishment of his reign. And I think that you find that kind of thing happening again and again throughout the Psalms and that you would miss if you just read or preached a sermon on Psalm 42. You know, but if you preached on 42 through 49, which I know is a lot more work, but it still it captures this big flow that can sometimes be lost. Okay, so yeah, maybe uh, let me query you on that. So, so I'm I'm speaking as a preacher, and I'm also speaking on behalf of preachers too. So, are you suggesting, and that you know, for somebody to preach on Psalm 42, 
um, and maybe even to just focus on, you know, like the importance of uh, preaching the gospel to yourself and speaking God's truth to yourself. You know, why are you cast down on my soul? Um, hope in God. I will yet again praise, you know, so we can learn like the psalmist, when we're sad, when we're believing the lies of culture, we need to consciously, you know, in the words of, uh, I think, Martin Lloyd-Jones, take ourselves by the hand, upbraid ourselves, preach the truth to ourselves, just like the psalmist here. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think that is um, untrue. And I don't think you, you, you're saying that's no. untrue. But do you think that's the no, best way to not. preach Psalm 42? <laughs> the best way. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I think it's similar to preaching an individual verse of, of any passage of the Bible where there's dangers of, of reading them in isolation, but I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with what you just did there. But even knowing the context, even just of Psalm 42, there's this wider context that seems to be, yeah, one of exile, one of geographic uh, distance from, from the temple and all this sort of stuff. So I think maybe it's, I would say that there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it's not the same thing as preaching with a strict awareness of the context of the psalm and the context of that psalm's location. So when we want to preach a sermon, let's say on, on a passage in Matthew or in one of uh, Paul's letters, I think there's nothing inherently wrong with preaching a theologically true sermon out of one of these verses. But we also would need to be aware of that wider context and make sure that we're not uh, misapplying it or misinterpreting it. Right, right. So maybe good truth, wrong verse, or <laughs> or good truth, right verse. <laughs> maybe there should be reference to the broader um, yeah. scope of its place in this altar. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really, yeah, you're, you're pressing some good distinctions here. I don't think I would go so far as to say right idea, wrong verse, but maybe more like you just said in the second part where uh, just as we would do when we're preaching a single verse in, in isolation, I think a, a good sermon would be aware of that context and even make it make it known and saying, like, okay, so this psalm, it seems like here's the experience of the psalmist. I want to really focus on this verse and the truth that this could that have for our personal life with God uh, because that's yeah extrapolating a principle from from a verse, which I think we do all the time elsewhere. So I don't think it's it's necessarily a wrong thing to do, but I think it's good to always be aware of the context and and even the fact that the context may be different to what we're what our gut is saying. And that's kind of what my journey has been with some of these some of this uh, discovery with the Psalms is that is my gut has always told me read the Psalms as in their genres or read the Psalms in isolation altogether when there's this grand arc, <laughs> grand narrative, grand flow that's going throughout the whole Psalter that uh, is so easily missed if we, if we don't look even just at the surrounding psalms. And the more I've done that, the more I've been amazed by the connections. Okay, yeah, so so valuable distinction. Is there is there another, um, let's say, sweep in the psalms or, or, or unit that maybe you could introduce us to or help us to see? So Psalm 42 to 49 is one. Is there another one you can introduce, introduce yeah. us to? Yeah, I think... I think there's several. Uh, one that one that comes to mind would be Psalm 15 uh, through 24. And so here, if you look at Psalm 15, uh, what's interesting, of course, is Psalm 14 
says talks about the wicked and says that the Lord looks down from heaven to see if there's any under who understand who seek after God they're all corrupt right there's none who does good Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 3 uh, so it's interesting that the next psalm then says who shall sojourn in your tent who shall dwell on your holy hill and then it lists all of these really ethical standards so uh, already you have this juxtaposition of no one's righteous and then but who can dwell on your holy hill uh, what's interesting is when you look at that and then you jumped ahead to Psalm 24, you find really similar language again. So uh, verse 3, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so there's this really similar uh, stretch of verses there that match verse 15. And there are people who have done uh, several studies on this who have noticed that Psalm 15 through 24 are kind of a unit of its own that are focused on this individual the individual who can ascend God's holy hill. Uh, again, if we're reading the Psalms in context, the first mention of God's holy hill is in Psalm 2 and 3. And Psalm 2, of course, is the Messiah has been set on God's holy hill, Zion. And so if we were to read it that way, which I know that requires some rethinking here, but if we were yeah. to read it that way and say, who would be the one that could dwell on his hill, which we've already seen in Psalm 2 is, is the Messiah, being established on Zion. And then we read this moral, these moral standards that this person who who loves the law, really, who embodies the law to such a degree that they they do righteousness. Then we we keep reading the Psalms and we run into Psalm 16, where there's this person who's talking about the fact that they they won't experience death, they'll be a, they'll be uh, you know saved from death because they're the Lord's holy one. Uh, and then you read Psalm 17, which actually talks about similar kinds of things again, that that this person will will not see death, but they will live. And then you you just keep going on and you see Psalms and Psalms after at, after the king. Psalm 21, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. Psalm 22, of course, O Lord, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you look at these Psalms, they even seem to match. And so this, this is hard to capture in the audio, but uh, it even seems that Psalm 15 through 24, like a chiasm, hmm. where 15 and 24 match. 16 and 23 even seem to match 17 and, and uh, 21 and tw uh, what is it? <laughs> this is why you don't do this on audio. Uh, yeah, you the, need a whiteboard. Parallel Psalms, you know, you'd never do math that, you know, when you're teaching and stuff like that. Basically, the Psalms, as you move inwards from those 15 and 24, that seems like they match the, in terms of content and themes and even keywords. And so that's, again, another example where these Psalms on their own, there's nothing wrong with it, reading them, interpreting them on their own. But when we're aware of this wider context, it, it helps us, I think, understand who they're about, what's going on in the Psalms. Yeah, well, well, Lindsay, I'm, I'm simultaneously, like, I'm, I'm excited. I, I love to hear these things. This just seems like, you know, it's, it's kind of a thrilling thing uh, to hear. So I, I'm, I'm feeling that. And then also, too, I'm thinking, wait a second, you know, this is just from the <laughs> 80s. This is, this is um, yeah. relatively new. Um, who are we mm -hmm. to impose this, um, this structure upon the Psalms? And, um, mm -hmm. you know, we, could, we can find a chiasm anywhere. Um, so who are, who yeah. are us, that is true. you know, 21st century people to, to impose yeah. on? Um, mm -hmm. And so, and then, so that's my, again, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear it. I'm, I'm battling skepticism. But then mm -hmm. I have a complex inner monologue. <laughs> so then I, but then yeah. I reply no, to myself and think, wait a minute, Mike, are you troubled at the idea 
of reading the Bible, you know, section by section, looking mm-hmm. after the context and, and viewing things as part of a unified whole. And mm-hmm. perhaps I was just born and dropped into this, you know, stage of Christendom where we've been taught that this beautiful book of Psalms is best dissected into 150 little isolated nuggets and that we should mm-hmm. think of each of them as an individual thing and that maybe that's that's odd and, and maybe mm-hmm. we should obviously like who on earth would would do this with any other book just divide it up into mm-hmm. individual little sentences barring proverbs that's another discussion <laughs> but um, yeah, I, but maybe but maybe yeah i've i was born into a an odd way of looking at it and then to hear mm-hmm. you know you mm-hmm. sanely rationally presenting the case <laughs> That <laughs> maybe these things are connected, whereas yeah. you know me and other hearers might think this is weird, but actually maybe it's mm-hmm. weird. Maybe we've been doing it weird all along. Maybe we're weird. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. No, everything you're saying is what I have wrestled with over the years too. So I've been doing yeah deep dive in the Psalms for several years, and just reading a ton of stuff like this, and people who are even questioning this approach. You know, it's yeah. Of course, this is nothing new. Uh, in terms of, of wrestling with these very questions. And I think, like you said, if if we believe Scripture interprets Scripture, and if we have these sort of principles for how we interpret other books, why would we not apply it to the Psalms? And it does require some changes of, of our assumptions, like you said. Uh, of course, this approach to reading the Psalms in terms of genre, that's also inherited by recent scholarship uh, just several generations before with the rise of form criticism and things like that, which again, this is usually what happens is the church tends to be several decades behind the scholarly world. And we don't always catch up to it. We don't always know this is what's happening. Uh, So for example, I mean, even in churches today, you have the debate over the new perspective of Paul, right? The new perspective on Paul was was the 80s as well, you know? In fact, a lot of Pauline scholarship has moved on. They think that battle's been, been fought and won and it's over. And they're wrestling with other things now. And and so often it takes a little while for these things to come into the church. And of course, the thing that really matters is, is it's true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and of right, course, yeah. history, of course, is is important to know. Uh, and so knowing the, the ideas that we've inherited, uh, it's almost like that whole thing of, if you think you have no tradition, that proves that you don't even see your own traditions. You don't even, you're not even conscious of them. And so... Absolutely, I agree with you that we shouldn't be too quick to jump on like the latest wind of doctrine or something. Uh, but interestingly, if you look into church history, I've found that the earliest church onwards was interpreting more like this than than the other ways of interpreting. Um, there's a great book by David Mitchell, and maybe we could add some books to the to the show notes or something. But there's a great book by David Mitchell that is really expensive, but not as much so on Logos. So there's a little pitch from my employer. How about but, that? Uh, as, as in like over Is it published by Lexham Press as well? No, but I, I've got some great uh, wares you may be interested in, yeah. Uh, no, but so this book, he, he looks at the earliest interpretation amongst uh, Christian and Jewish scholars and, and interpreters and traditions and all the rest. And he's showing that both they were reading the Psalms messianically, which we haven't gotten to as much, even though you, you can see where I'm going with some of this. But they are also reading them as a book in, in their order and reading them in light of each other. Um, you find this a lot, even in the New Testament, you find 
a key word like Peter when he talks about uh, the rock in First Peter, and he makes all these connections about the stone, you know, the, st the stumbling stone, and he pulls from Isaiah, and he pulls from Psalm 118, and just because of that one word, the word stone. And so that's similar to what I've been trying to do with the Psalms, is to read them in light of each other and read them in light of the key words that are shared and things like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's. I'm glad to hear about. Is it you said Patrick Mitchell or what's the? Oh, David Mitchell. Yeah, I think it's called the Message of the Psalter, if I remember. Um, but let's. Yeah, maybe we should put them in the show notes because there's. A I, lot I got of a feeling we'll have an extensive bibliography for <laughs> for this one yeah. with with end notes and and references. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, here's hoping for some from some discount codes as well. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want it. Um, so. If only. But yeah, yeah, it, I think it's always yeah, it's always worthwhile um, to ask that question that you just asked. Like, are are we the weird ones? Um, you yeah. know, we we who were born into again this kind of pietistic tradition that's viewed mm -hmm. Psalms as you know an, an atomistic. You know, we're all each mm -hmm. of us all divided up and and. You know, like yeah. my, my sister, you know, she was a very picky eater growing up. And so she would always like divide her, her plate to make sure that, you know, the one yeah, section of yeah. food never touched the other section. Mm -hmm. And she would um, sometimes clean off her fork um, in between <laughs> times when she would go from one to the other to make sure that they never mixed together. And mm -hmm. um, may we not do the same with the 150 psalms uh, that compose this altar. Yeah. Yeah, that's really the, the heart of what I'm getting at is being aware of the context. And, and that's a huge journey that I'm on. And, and I'd encourage others to, to join me in doing is just reading them in context. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like Psalm 110, right? The, the one that's arguably uh, quoted the most in the New Testament or alluded to the most as well about the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. When you, again, is it a coincidence that right after that triumphal psalm that's quoted the most in the New Testament, you have a series of hallelujah psalms. Is that mm. just a pure accident, you mm. know, or is it, mm. or is there something going on? And then when you read the content, some of these psalms actually seem to be describing Jesus as well. <laughs> and they may on their own may not seem like that, but if you've just read Psalm 110 and then you're reading after that and you're thinking these psalms are in response to this climactic psalm in the Psalter, and then, of course, the end of that collection of Hallelujah Psalms is Psalm 118, which is also uh, arguably the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And so two of these really important psalms are, are uh, in between them are these huge Hallelujah Chorus Psalms. Ah, that's, yep. So there's a is, lot there. Yeah, again, and I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with this, um, but just to hear it, mm -hmm. just, um, again, it's... It's blowing my mind. It's, it's really, really great. Um, so I mentioned this to you uh, beforehand, but, you know, there is, um, we have an Expositors Collective, like, Facebook group mm -hmm. where it's a lot of uh, preachers who get together and talk about episodes and ask questions. Um, I, I let them know I was going to be interviewing you, and um, I got a few different questions coming in, but one of them had to do, mm -hmm. maybe it'll fit good here. Um, someone was asking, well, then how should someone structure a preaching series in the Psalms, mm -hmm. like if somebody yeah. was to, I mean, you took 14 weeks uh, teaching the book of Psalms mm -hmm. in a Bible college class. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you like, would you recommend that a sermon series through the Psalms would be 14 weeks or, or what mm -hmm. would be the, how would you guide or encourage someone to preach through the Psalms? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that... Well, it wasn't mine, there's... so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's, there's a handful of ways I think you could do it. 
again, I don't, I'm not trying to take anything away from anyone. So people who preach a one-off psalm devotionally, I've done that before, and, and I don't think that that's wrong. I, I don't want to go back in time and correct myself. And, okay. you know. and I think that even uh, preaching in terms of genres to, to expose your congregation to different ways, different ways that the psalms speak and different ways we can read the psalms and apply them, I think that's that's all good. But I also think that's a bit like reading Paul and saying, where does Paul talk about this doctrine? Or what are some of the doctrines Paul teaches, but you're not actually interpreting Romans or Galatians or Ephesians? I think it's a bit like that, uh, where you can do thematic studies, but that's what that would be. A study through the Psalms, you could do all of them one week for one Psalm, uh, which I think Jim Hamilton did. If you're familiar with Jim Hamilton at Southern Seminary, no way. Uh, he did that. and he, But he also preached them in a way where he's saying, now remember last week, it was talking about this. And so he's making all these connections as well, similar to what I was talking about. So he, if you actually want to hear them preached in the way I'm talking about, uh, Jim Hamilton did a really great job with, with okay. the ones I've listened to. He, he made those kind of connections. Uh, another way you could do it is preach in units. And so whether that could be, like I just said, a sermon series on, on the collection of Korah, 42 through 49, or perhaps you could do a sermon series on the collection of Korah, so maybe a, a several uh, sermon series that's just on that mini collection and showing how uh, there's this progression. So I guess there's several different ways you could do it. I, I'm not trying to force anyone into any particular way other than when you preach them, be aware of the context, just like we would do with any other book. I think that's kind of the, the big takeaway. So you could preach a sermon series on Romans 9 through 11 because that's a, a unit of its own, but it would be a huge mistake if you forgot the rest of the Bible when you preached that, you know, especially forgot yeah. the rest of the Romans. So that's kind yeah. of where I'm getting at. Okay. Um, do you recall what was your, um, when you did 14 weeks, how yeah. did you do it? For the, And I realized too, a Bible college class yeah. is different than a Sunday morning collection, but totally. how did you do it? Yeah. I did it in units like that where I think I did one whole week on Psalm 1 and 2, which I think I would do if I were to preach. I'll tell it. Yeah, I'll say it now. If I were to preach a sermon series and I had my my way, and I took as long as I wanted. I'd probably preach Psalm 1 and 2 as a unit, maybe Psalm 3 through 7 or 8 as a unit, or maybe 3 through 14 as a unit, and 15 through 24 as a unit, and that kind of a thing, and try to show the big picture, uh, because I think that would be what people are less exposed to. And of course, yeah, the trouble would be, well, what are the units? How do you find them? And I think that that's, that's where you want to look into some of these resources that can help guide how how these are broken down. Some of them okay. are arguable, but some of them are really obvious uh, right. once, you, once you pay attention. And um, has somebody arranged them into units that, let's say, includes all of the Psalms? Or are there some that are just kind of left out? Um, you know, that mm-hmm. 15 yeah, to 24 is a unit, but, you know, 25 is kind of on its own, and then there's yeah. another one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it's a little bit like what you said about chiasms, like you can find a chiasm anywhere. I think there are people who try to force a psalm into something that it's not and i think we need to be really aware of that we're trying to we're trying to follow the flow of of god's word not force it into our categories and boxes and units or whatever we want to call it i think that yeah there are some here and there that are not as easily uh joined with others but again once you start seeing the connections uh it's pretty it's pretty clear and so like book four for example i think there's about 16 or 17 psalms in that book and there's, I think, at least maybe three or four units that are pretty 
distinguishable from each other. And that's by the superscriptions, by the contents. Uh, yeah, I don't want to do this off, off my memory in case I sure, sure. <laughs> embarrass myself here. <laughs> um, okay, so maybe as we're kind of like wrapping up this section, um, considering that the Psalms are, are a book and they are, they are unified, uh, maybe a final question before we wrap this part up. Like these, these five books within it, uh, like you've acknowledged a few different times, that's not, you know, sacred scripture. Those divisions aren't, aren't um, or at least the, the superscripts aren't inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they've been noticed by, by Christians and Jews um, and just even students. Um, who was the first to notice them? Like when did this five-fold division in the Psalter, yeah. when did that exist? I, I bet you would know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question as well. Um, yeah, so just to clarify, what I mean by, by that is, you know, the, the headings in our Bible, a lot of them have been added. Uh, even a lot of the chapter divisions, of course, you know, the chapter divisions have been added, the verse divisions and all that. But the recognition that there's five books in the Psalms is, is due to something that's really clear, which is those doxologies at the end of those units. And so, yeah, I'm not saying that the splitting them into five is uninspired, but just that they are headings and, and maybe our way of, you know, saying that Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, you know, that heading there. Uh, that I've got above my Psalm 23. That's just someone someone put that there. <laughs> yeah, but then yeah. a Psalm of David is actually in the manuscript. And then verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, you know, that's there too. So anyway, um, as to the person who first noticed it, I don't recall, but I think some of the earliest sources we would have would be some of the medieval rabbis, possibly, maybe earlier. And of course, they often reflect earlier tradition too. Uh, and they were noticing that there's five books and they were actually making the comparison to uh, Moses and saying that there's five books of Moses too. Actually, and there's probably also the, some of the early church fathers too, might be earlier, who were saying that too. Well, thanks for listening, and I bet that you want to hear more. And so you're in luck. Next Tuesday, episode 143 is going to come out, which is just the second half of this conversation speaking not only of the Psalms as a book of the Bible, but a book of the Bible about Jesus. And so we're going to see how the Psalms uh, point to the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophesied Messiah. So that's, that's great. Uh, a few minutes ago in the conversation, I made reference to the Expositors Collective Facebook group. And if that's something that you listen to and you're like, I want to be part of that, well, my friend, there's room for you. So um, search on Facebook. There's the Facebook page, um, which has, you know, links to episodes that go out and um, quotes about preaching that go out. But there also is a group. I believe it's called Expositors Collective Text-Focused Christ-Centered Expository Preachers. Um, ask to join that, and I will approve you and you can come in. A lot more discussion takes place um, in that group than does on the, on the public page, and that's by design. It's a place for preachers to just kind of geek out and uh, laugh at our mistakes, um, learn so we don't make those same mistakes again, uh, ask questions about organizing uh, preaching uh, schedules, etc., etc. So if you're listening to this podcast in the first place, and if you've listened all the way to the end of the episode, that means 
that you are qualified to be part of it. You're just geeky enough to find a place in the Expositors Collective Facebook group. So I'd like to invite you there. All right, I will see you in the Facebook group or I'll see you next Tuesday for the next episode of the Expositors Collective podcast. I hope that this episode and all that we do helps you grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. Thank you.